0: Gosang Village on Jeju Island, this is The Korea File, a weekly podcast about music, culture, and society from around the peninsula. I'm Andre Goulet. This episode is produced in collaboration with the Jeju Weekly. On this episode, academic Tommy Tran on Jeju's secret history. Sites up yeah. until the '80s, and I had no idea. I worked down in Saguié, uh, and Hassouni, mm. and the West to me is just like the boring coast. Like, and I never <laughs> thought that it was that interesting. But tell me a bit about Daya and Uh Why were they? How were they the primary source of? What were they the primary source of? Up to the 80s?
1: Well, back then, especially especially during the Joseon Dynasty, from from the 18th century, that's that's where a lot of the farming was concentrated. And because it was right along the coast, it was, it was quite convenient to have a port over there. That's what where Mosupo had its importance. It had a port. That could carry it over into the end of the Choson dynasty in the 19th century, and the Japanese followed suit also. They developed Dejong and Mosupo to suit their needs, since they had all the farming concentrated in one area, and a port in Mosupo next to Dejong. So, So that worked out for the Japanese.
0: How, how was Jeju City different at that time?
1: Jeju City was purely for administrative purposes. And Jeju City had always been purely administrative until until as late as the 1980s.
0: Was it still the major population center?
1: Well, actually, during uh, the Japanese colonial period, Daejeon was actually bigger.
0: Really? Yeah. What was the population approximately?
1: I'm not really sure exactly, but at least before... Before nineteen forty-eight, before the April Third Massacre, there was a, it was estimated about three hundred thousand people lived in Jeju, so maybe around two hundred to three hundred thousand during the Japanese colonial period for the entire Jeju Island.
0: Okay, okay. So Jeju City was like not an agricultural hub. Uh, was it a culture hub?
1: It was more a political hub, culture hub. Even even Dejong was a little more important that time.
0: So how did this define the development and character of the two cities at that time?
1: At that time. Well, Dejong was uh, was originally where a lot of a lot of uh, people exiled from the mainland went. They were they were mostly concentrated within Dejong, so a lot of the mainland culture actually stayed in Western Jeju. Whereas, because uh, because Jeju City was purely administrative, it was it was pretty much where where the military and where where the where the officials stayed. But it was purely for administrative purposes.
0: Did the boats arrive then directly on Dej- at Dejong?
1: through Daejeon but also through Jocheon Jocheon and also Sanjichon so there were, there were several main ports of Jeju Island at that time, one of them was Mosupo in the south two were, actually there were three there was, um, there was uh, Hwabuk, what we call Hwabuk today, it had a different name back then so there was Hwabuk there was Chan and then there was Jocheon those were the three main ports in the north so a lot of the ports were in the north because they were purely to send uh, tribute goods back to the mainland.
0: Okay, you, you wrote that Jeju City actually didn't have much of a port until the Japanese colonial era. Oh yeah. And in fact, when typhoons hit the island, yeah. Jeju City bears the brunt of that. Oh yeah. So, uh, so when was the port first created in Jeju City?
1: Nineteen oh eight. They tried during during the last years of the Korean Joseon Dynasty, but. Well, of course, the Joseon dynasty was in pretty bad shape at that time, so they didn't really have much resources to actually build up Jeju, nor were they entirely interested. So even though they started a steam line from uh, the mainland to Jeju during the last years of the last Korean dynasty, there was no real port where the ship could stay, so the ship would actually have to stay offshore. So it couldn't actually park at Jeju Port right. because Jeju Port wasn't suitable for any large ships. Okay. They could only send small ships. So even the first steamship, it couldn't it couldn't actually dock at Jeju Port.
0: Uh-huh. huh. So this kind of speaks to how neglected Jeju was uh, all through that era, like the, the, the tail end of the Korean dynastic period.
1: Oh, uh, certainly. Uh-huh. And it kind of continued with the Japanese colonial period. So even even when the Japanese took over, they did build a lot of the infrastructure, but it wasn't until much later, that that we we actually had paved roads. So even when they built the road that go around the island, it wasn't paved. Mm-hmm. The only road that was paved at that time was um was the airbase at Jinduru. Okay. And that was because it was a runway.
0: And that's where the Japanese were flying in and out of Jeju. Yeah. Okay. Uh, turning now to agriculture, uh, Gamgyul, which is mm-hmm. the tangerine of Jeju. Yeah. There was a Gamgyul shift, and the old kind of Gamgyul is no longer cultivated shifted to a
1: Japanese
0: strain of oh, yeah. tangerine. Can you tell me
1: anything about that? That was also at the beginning of the 20th century. Part of the reason because, uh, well, well, the Japanese brand is, the Japanese form of kamgyul, uh Mikan, or what we call Satsuma in the U.S., is much more, it's much more flavorful. The Jeju Kamgyu are a little more on the sour side. Jeju originally had uh, dozens of different kinds of Kamgyu, and they were all cultivated and sent to the mainland as tribute goods but in the 20th century there was a major shift to the japanese kind of camglu because it was much more economical much more easier to grow and it could grow and it could produce a lot of fruit in a year okay. and also it was very sweet and everyone liked it
0: right so hence the popularity of that strain today yeah um so when people say that yule was actually introduced to jeju yeah. um in the i've heard varying stuff like 50s 60s 20s in fact there was oranges uh they could grow but what we eat today yeah was only introduced around what time
1: around around the uh, the beginning of the 20th century okay. so when the the japanese started colonizing jeju they brought over the the mikan the what we call Satsumas in the u.s
0: okay a century fruit
1: yeah
0: uh all right. I was really interested in one of your blog entries on mm-hmm. your blog Jeju Palimpsest. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. What does palimpsest mean?
1: A palimpsest. It's um, it's often used in in theoretical literature, but it refers to a kind of writing board used used in ancient Greek days. So you'd write you'd write your thoughts on a board, and you could erase them, but the traces are always left over. No matter how much you would erase them, a bit of the trace is still there. And that's how Jeju Island kind of is. Like, Even though there's, there's a lot of mass destruction going on, which of course is pretty much regrettable, but even though there's so much being destroyed, there's these traces always left over. And ironically, every, every Korean administration until the modern times couldn't really erase everything on Jeju. The Japanese couldn't do it, the Korean Joseon dynasty couldn't do it, and the previous dynasties couldn't do it. There was always something left over on Jeju. And ironically, it's the Jeju government nowadays that's doing the most destruction, that's the most effective. Okay.
0: So I get it. You're, you're basically retracing over the history that's already been spoken about, but yeah. you're sort of reaffirming it. Yeah. Okay. So speaking to one of your entries, you have th- uh, three entries about the Japanese colonial period. Uh, and they're really interesting. And one that was cool to me was the example of urban planning from colonial times. So there's a lot of Japanese influence on... Uh, road system,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Tapdung in old Jeju, yeah, and also in the residential architecture. Mm-hmm. Uh, so tell me a little bit about what that residential architecture is, how, how is it Japanese, and how is the road system Japanese?
1: When the Japanese came, well before they came, all of Jeju's roads were all windy roads, like sort of like Ole. Well that's pretty much how all the roads in Jeju were, because communities were all clustered there wasn't any centrally planned avenues or any straight streets. It was natural for Jeju, Jeju communities just to wind around because everybody wanted to be close next to their neighbors or their friends or people who they knew. It was very much a communal culture. But once the Japanese came, they readjusted all the roads so they were straight, in line of how Japanese cities were organized. Well, at least, Japanese cities in the 19th century were organized. Mm. So they tried to replicate what they were doing in Japan, because Japan also had those windy roads, but they were starting to modernize themselves. Okay. So they were transplanting that idea onto Jeju. So the first streets that were, that were straightened were in what's today the old city in Jeju City. Mm-hmm. So around Gwandaakchang, Tong, those areas. Those, thro- those roads were street- originally all windy. Nowadays, they're all straight and perpendicular.
0: What about the architecture? How, how was that architecture? Japanese:
1: The features of, of Japanese architecture is that they have a central corridor. A Korean house is uh, more is arranged such that they have, they have an ent- a broad entry right in the, in the front. whereas when you go into a Japanese house you immediately go into a corridor flanked by several rooms so that's absent in Korean architecture and uh, jeju architecture. but there are some houses in Jeju that have a central corridor and that's a Japanese feature. And also another feature is um, are the support beams underneath the roof. Korean houses tend to have uh, round support beams, whereas Japanese houses tend to have square support beams. And you can still see some of those in the old city today.
0: So, where can people find this sort of example of that kind of architecture?
1: Uh, in In the area called Mugunsang, Mugunsang behind Gwandaegjang. Okay. Originally, Mugunsang was an area where a lot of, lot of elite and more well to do people lived. It's, of course, it's not the case nowadays, but, but during, during the colonial period, that's where most of the merchants, politicians, and elites lived. So some of the houses there still have the Japanese style architecture. <laughs>
0: that's the file for this week subscribe to the podcast on itunes and remember to like us on facebook tune in next week for part two of my conversation with john dunbar where we'll be talking about urban exploration and korea's punk community if you like the show recommend it from gosang village on jeju island i'm andre brulee